she's going to ask me what she wants me to talk about. We're in Edmonton. You asked me a question and that's very good And we're in Edmonton and uh, we're sitting with a bunch of RMDs and this um, lady made, what did you make? What did you bring? Um, a banana bread from Uganda. Yeah. And <laughs> I say that's not from Uganda. <laughs> anyway, you not only have uh, served with us overseas, but you've served on our board with the uh, VSO. Yeah, that's right. So tell us your name and where you serve. Uh, my name is Ninfa Eris, and uh, <laughs> there are kids screaming in the background. And I was in uh, Tanzania, a place called Rubia. Uh, between 2001 and 2004. I left Canada in the most chaotic time of North America, 9-11. I was scheduled to, but I was held up for three weeks. So I left, in fact, I left at uh, the end of September instead of September 15th. So, um, so I was held up here in Canada for, for about three weeks. So anyways, the chaos extended up to when I arrived in Africa because I arrived there. They didn't know who I was. They didn't know whether, <laughs> they didn't whether, whether I was uh, uh, who I was and uh, whether I was going to arrive in in Dar es Salaam. And and so, uh, luckily, there was uh, a volunteer there in uh, uh, from Stettler, Alberta, who volunteered to come and meet me at the airport. Oh. So that was very nice of her, and uh, so so I stayed in Dar es Salaam for a day, and they thought that because I missed the whole orientation period because of the chaos of 9/11, uh, that it would just be better to for me to proceed to the village where I am supposed to be. So so I did, and um, where is Rubia? Rubia is in the very extreme northwest of Tanzania. Okay. And a very, very tiny village. Um, but there's a school of nursing there. Wow. And that's where, that's why I was sent there. So, uh, Rubia is a very tiny village. It probably had at that time about three to 5,000 population. And Rubia is all about the seminary. There's a big seminary there. The hospital and the school of nursing. So I worked at the uh, School of Nursing, which is uh, under the Diocese of Bukoba. And that is the, uh, you know, so, um, so I worked there. I was, um, I was sent there as a nurse tutor. But after a while, I realized that I was every, everything to everyone in the village. Uh, they came to me. Uh, for everything, so um, um, and on one of the things that uh, the principal of the school had asked me to do was to make sure that the uh, students speaks spoke English uh, within the compound. Um, the, the students had different uh, English language background, mainly because in the 1970s, and I, I believe what they told me was the English was removed from the. Uh, education curriculum uh, during the Nyerere time. And um, so some of them, most of, some of the students that came to our school were either from Kenya, from Uganda, so all over East Africa, oh. but predominantly from within Tanzania. So their, their, their knowledge of the English language and, and the way they 
spoke the language was very different levels. The, the, the students from Kenya and Uganda were very uh, well spoken in the English language, but the Tanzanians uh, were kind of inferior. So, uh, but so that's why the principal was encouraging uh, the students and me to help out and how to strategize so they will speak English in the school campus. So I created a debating club among the <laughs> students. That's a way of doing it. So just for them to kind of converse and practice their English language, and uh, and so it was it was a lot of fun. And and uh, when I started, um, uh, when I, I first my first week in the school, everybody came to me, all the staff there, and asked me to teach everything. And I said, well, <laughs> so can you do this, can you do that? And I think what their perception of a volunteer was in, in the old concept where you have to fill in the gaps there, you know, where there's nobody who would teach anatomy, then you kind of go fill in for a week and then go on to the next subject. But um, so soon they learned that the, the face and the, the role of the volunteer had changed over, over the years. And I had hope. Hopefully, I somehow had educated them in that aspect. Um, so the, the highlight, I guess, in my placement was um, one of the goals of the principal when I when I um, I met with her. Uh, she said she wanted to produce competent nurses, and so I asked her, "What do you mean by that? And how how would you?" Uh, how do you define competence? Yeah, how would you accomplish that? So, so that was her, her goal. And she, she was a progressive thinker uh, as a nurse. So, so when I went around the hospital, um, I, I realized that the students really lacked supervision in the clinical area. So that was what was lacking and that was what she meant. Is that the, the student get all, got all this theoretical knowledge and they cannot apply it in the clinical area because there's a lot, lack of opportunities to supervise them. So what I had learned in Canada about uh, mentorship, I, I had that in mind. So so I introduced the preceptorship in nursing there, and that took a bit for them to digest and Well, I was just trying to digest that word. What did you just say? Preceptorship. Preceptorship. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Mentoring. Okay. Nurse to nurse mentoring. So. Oh, okay. So, uh, preceptorship has been in existence since the 1970s, I guess. Uh, not only in nursing, but I think in a lot of professions. So, um, so it was it was a long process to get them to accept this, and so finally, I um, how I did it is I wanted them to take ownership of that. It, it's not my project; it's theirs. Mm. So, so uh, so I sat down with the principal, worked with her through funding proposals, uh, uh, getting the curriculum, developing the, the the workshop training for for the nurses who are interested to go into uh, be trained as mentors. So, uh, so luckily we got. Um, we got more than what we need for funding these training sessions, and uh, so to make the story short, they were so happy about it, and so I implemented it six months before my placement was over, mm -hmm. and and it's still going on until now, and that's and I think I call that the highlights because it's it's a sustainable. I think it's very it's a good example of 
doing something sustainable. So when I left my placement, I had developed an evaluation tool for them because I, I realized that it needed to re be refined. Uh, well, it needed to be polished, and I, I knew that that was uh, that was a long process to, to do. So uh, the one who took over my place actually implemented the evaluation tool, and they, they kind of involved me during that process. And uh, so I was. I was glad that uh, it's still going on until now, and I encouraged them to actually make a document paper to the Association of Nurses in Tanzania okay. for that, because they were, in, in a lot of ways, this is a small village, but they're pioneers mm -hmm. in doing this uh, concept, so, and a lot of the neighboring villages, the School of Nursing, wanted to, uh, to know more about it, and so I said to the principal, you sell that, don't you? She said, you are such a businesswoman, mama ninfa. She said, I said, no, no, I'm just joking. No. No, I said that, yeah, you share that, but, uh, you know, it, it has to be, they have to take ownership of that. And so, so I think uh, in, in some ways that was, uh, I, I left the legacy, I guess, in some, some Yay. ways. <laughs> and then you came back to serve on our board, you did, on VCO, the, yeah, the VSO's yeah. board for... One two term, terms, two terms, uh, when Chris Smart was uh, the chairman. Well, we thank you for that exceptional service here in Canada and overseas. And uh, I know you have to leave, but thanks for being here in Infa. And tell everybody thank about you. our reunion on December 4th and 5th, okay? Yeah, I will. All right, thank you. Enjoy your story. <laughs> we're nearing the end of the Edmonton one. We're a few more interviews to go. Tell me about where you served and your name. My name is Deborah Meville, and uh, I served as a volunteer with VSO in Ethiopia from 2006 to 2008. Um, I was uh, placed as a management advisor, which I have to say was a bit of a stretch since I'd never worked in management in my life uh, with an HIV organization. My previous uh, work was as a social worker doing community development in HIV, but uh, yeah, management advisor was a bit much. Um, I'd say one of the biggest challenges I had was not having the language. Uh, Amharic is a very little used language and very difficult to learn. The syntax is totally backwards, even though I speak French and English, it still was. <laughs> I think the French might have helped a bit, but anyway, um, and not understanding, and so trying to and maybe not being very sure of myself, so therefore not being able to sort of assert that I need this time to work with the managers and this and that. So I found my, my placement very challenging in that way. I, don't, I didn't feel like I did accomplish that much. So in, in a lot of ways, I did feel that I got more from the placement than they got out of me. However, there were some things that I kind of helped push along, and maybe it was a little bit of my North American pushiness that helped a bit. Um, I guess I felt I needed to do something, and I like organizing things, so I brought to them the idea of organizing the, an International AIDS Candlelight Memorial, which is a, an international event, and they had never done that before, so I thought, well, let's give it a shot. Um, many, many challenges there. We had a short time to plan it, difficulty finding a venue because you have to get permission for this one, that one, and the next one, and you get the runaround and all the bureaucracy, and you need that little purple stamp on everything. <laughs> I don't know if that's other people's experiences, but 
Yeah, if you don't get that purple stamp, you don't get anywhere uh, from somebody. And who's the person with the purple stamp? So uh, we did manage to pull in uh, into a small community. We one area of Addis Ababa where I was, um, and there were over about over 200 people, I'd say, that showed up. And just in the community, by setting up our the music group and having them starting to play, people just came. Um, so it well, was. There is music in Africa. There are people. There are people. Yeah. Even though we had some intermittent problems with the sound system and all that, because it was all done, you know, with electric guitars and keyboards and the whole bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it did bring up the people, and so we were able to share some messages with them. Uh, the country director spoke in, in English, as her mark is was fairly limited as well. She did have a phrase that she or something that a message that she memorized in Amharic. Um, and we had the Minister of Health there, and uh, so it was a fairly good uh, turnout considering the, the challenges we had getting it together. The next year we planned it again, this time we had cooperation from uh, three other organizations where there were other VSO volunteers as well, so we all worked together on it, and the person we wanted to headline, we met with their, their guy. <laughs> on the Monday and the Wednesday the fellow was in jail so <laughs> he is a bit of a political um, problems with the government again and so whether the charges were trumped up or not we never really knew uh, people would say oh it's all a farce and they're, they're making it up and, but anyway um, again challenges with the venue somebody supposedly booking it and then getting there and finding out it's not booked and, so we're like scrambling till the last minute, and how do you put that on a poster when you don't even know where the venue is going to be? As it turned out, we had a venue at the university and had, uh, I'd say, easily over a thousand students show up. Very interesting um, system because we had invited some people from the Ministry of Education and possibly from the Ministry of Health. I'm not exactly sure who actually did show up. <laughs> um, the students were not allowed down on the field where most of the other people were, including about 50 VSO volunteers who showed up to help. That was totally amazing. Wow. It was really great support among our, our uh, fellow volunteers. But the students themselves were, met, were left to, and kept apart from the dignitaries. And uh, it's like, well, no, the event is for them. Like, you know, it just was totally foreign. Like, what's going on here? But security is always a huge, big issue. And, you know, that's the way you have to do it. So, but they did enjoy it. There were skits by uh, local groups. Again, I didn't understand what they were going, but the students were enjoying it. Uh, some music, no sound system for the most part, except that very limited power, just enough for the microphone for the, for the speakers. So again, the music was a big thing. You're sounding thing. like a rock promoter. Uh, well, and the, the gentleman who was the head of security at University of um, uh, the Addis Ababa University told us the day before the event that he didn't like music because it incites people. And it's like, wow. So we, t we affirmed to him that we were not going to have it go too long, and we would have just a minimal amount of music. But somehow, we're not sure what happened, that we just didn't have quite enough power to run the amps and the, and the electric uh, equipment, uh, musical equipment. Gee, go figure, hey. <laughs> so, you said anyway. something to us when we had everybody else in the room that was really quite interesting. You said... You're acclimatizing back into Canada, but you really didn't, and you found that difficult. 
I found it somewhat difficult. I didn't have the same types of experiences some people where they go into a grocery store and there's shelves and shelves of product and they can't choose. Like yeah. I've, I've heard people tell me that, but I didn't have that kind of difficulty. I think it's the values. I'm trying to hold on to how I saw how other people lived. And that's what I went to see. I went to experience how other people do life. Um, from our North American perspective, you know, I hate to ca call it this, but you know, the whiners and complainers of the world. And I worked in a field in social services where I tend to hear a lot of whining and complaining. And yet I go to Africa where there are no social services, no social supports or financial supports or limited. And these people are not really complaining and they're just trying to make the best with what they have and really looking out for themselves. So I, I help, I'm holding on to a little bit of that and having some difficulty with that aspect of our society. And at the same time, I'm trying to make uh, conscious choices uh, the way I choose to live. And um, not always successfully, I have to admit. But, you know, I, I keep it in mind and how what I do, how it, it impacts someone else. Not necessarily directly in Ethiopia, but, you know, that we know, I know from hearing other people's stories and reading things that every place has got their challenges as far as that goes. And, this, and the way we live our lives is not the way most people live. And, um, a lot of people have this idea that everyone in Africa is sitting there waiting for a handout. And I, 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 can't, I just don't agree with that. I really feel that they're there making their lives work as best they can. I, I believe that too, for the most part. They don't, like I said, they don't tend to complain and whine. There are some who, as soon as they see the white skin, they think that you, you, got, must, the money. you got the money. You must be rich. Um, you get, tend to get the touch of the beggars and that. And I had a real challenge with that because to me every person on the street was a human being. And yet you can't give to everybody. Um, and it tugged at my heart and I had to try and figure out a way to deal with that, with the number of beggars that there were. And like I said, they would make a beeline across the street as soon as they saw the white skin and thinking, oh, here comes money bags. And uh, yeah, I learned how to how to say bless you in their language and uh, and I chose certain ones that I got to know and they were very friendly and never really uh, asked for money but they were there they obviously were there to receive money and uh, so there were a few I got to know a little bit and would choose to give to them more so um, the street children were very very difficult but at the same time I I wanted to still make eye contact and acknowledge them as a human being and as a person who is struggling and yet, and with that spirit inside them and yet at the same time it was, uh, you know, you're afraid to because then you for sure they're going to try and put the touch on you as they say, right? They so, say yeah. the same thing here in Canada in the inner cities that just acknowledging that person Sometimes, is yes. as important. It is, it is, just to recognize them as a human being and just their own struggles. Give you a big hug. Oh, thank you. Thanks really for all nice. your work. Thank you for this event. Pleasure.